This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. I always had a lot of ideas and always like, oh, I could do this or this or this, but I never did it until I met my co-founder. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Sylvain, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Sylvain, thank you for having me. You are the co-founder and CCO at Edun Technologies, a neurotech startup with a vision of creating a more connected and empathetic world using brain-sensing headphones. That's per se a very interesting approach or pitch that I just uh, mentioned here. Of course, we're going to talk all about that. But first, I want to start with your personal background. You studied architecture for one year before you actually switched to the so-called hard sciences. What drew you to them? Um, so the hard sciences was always something that I liked. Um, but I always had this very uh, creative part. So that's what I thought architecture is the perfect mix of hard science and uh, creativity didn't work out at all <laughs> for me, but I had a course um, in neuroscience um, next to the normal course in architecture. Mm -hmm. And I really, it fascinated me like back then, um, the neuroscience part of understanding how the processes work in the brain. And then I thought, okay, I have to go back to hard science for um, my personal well-being, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I also feel like, um, I always say like um, engineering, it's the safest way to be creative um, rather than in arts. And um, yeah, that's how I then went on to study um, health sciences and technologies um, because I wanted to do something about the brain. That's a very good motivator, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> probably. And you then also found the entrepreneurial path. So what actually does entrepreneurship mean to you in that regard, combined with hard science? For me, entrepreneurship means freedom. Uh, that has always been my motivation to, to be able to execute on this energy that I have to do something on my own. So it's also a privilege, I have to say, to be able to choose this path. Um, so, yeah, a lot of freedom and privilege. I always wanted to do something on my own, kind of, it's more like this, uh, there is something in me that w drives me. Mm -hmm. I never knew exactly what, I always had a lot of ideas and always like, oh, I could do this or this or this, but I never did it until I met my co-founder and it kind of crystallized and we said, okay, let's, let's put that down on paper and let's see where it goes. That spirit of wanting to do something on your own, mm -hmm. where does that come from? Is that your family background? You have entrepreneurial uh, inspiration there or where does that come from? Uh, stubbornness, <laughs> being a rebellious kid. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's. I think it's always been a bit in me to um, 
want to do something on my own or do it like I can do it myself. Um, also had a uh, or still have a big brother um, and he always took me everywhere uh, with the guys uh, doing like free ride or skiing very fast or wow, okay. climbing or and then he did math in, in, in school. I was like, okay, I'm going to do math. And then he was helping me with math, very, very proud of me when I did it better than him. Nice. So yeah, I think that helped me quite a lot actually uh, during my younger years. Um, and then it's, yeah, I guess it's also a bit of the character and yeah, maybe my family did, but not the, we are not like real uh, entrepreneur family, like mm -hmm. in the in in the normal sense. Um, but I would say my grandmother, who I brought up, brought me up, was also very independent. And so, yeah. so it is sort of in the DNA. Probably, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you mentioned you met your co-founder Simon at the ETH in Zurich. Mm -hmm. You then founded Eden Technologies in 2017. So first of all. Talk a bit more about how that then happened. You met each other and then you actually saw, hey, we could start a company together. How did that develop? Yeah, so it was more talking about um, preventive health mm -hmm. um, together because he was working in a, in a startup or in a company um, which did burnout prevention for corporates based on heart rate variability. So this part was for him always interesting. Um, during or during my first year of architecture, I went to China um, and I did Kung Fu for a few for months. <laughs> and this whole preventative part of medicine also like struck me quite back then. Mm -hmm. And so we had this, we were just talking about it. Like, um, how can we make it more preventative? And I always said like in the Western part or like in our part of the of the world, it's going to be based on data. Um, in China or India, it's based on experience and, oh, surprise, data and experience from thousands of years actually correlate, but we don't believe it without data. So, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it. And what did you then, what other steps did you undertake to then actually found the company? Because you also probably needed a bit more certainty than just saying, oh, yeah, the data sure. and, and the intuition, they yeah. actually correlate. <laughs> so um, we were just starting our masters at ETH and we uh, enrolled in one course uh, from Startup Campus, mm -hmm. business idea creation. I think that was really great because then we were like mapping all the markers in the body that could be um, relevant to measure as a preventative measure. And um, we then kind of focused on the heart back then um, as one of the most um, widespread death cause um, cardiovascular diseases and started talking to cardiologists, to patients. And that's where we kind of found out there is no sensor at the moment that gives very high quality data for a long period of time. You always have snapshots and you have to right. hope that you see an event during this 72 hours, which you probably want, or you have to implant um, a sensor to really have long-term data. So we were like, okay, we need to find something um, to develop good sensors, which are comfortable on the body. We call them the forgettable. We have to build forgettables. Um, and that's when we actually started looking around at the ETH for, for research groups. Also the ETH transfer helped us uh, pinpoint us more entrepreneurial friendly professors mm -hmm. and we went to pitch to him our idea and he said okay nice. look um 
maybe uh, there is this project, uh, this side project that two PhD of uh, ours are working on. Those are dry sensors, dry electrodes for um, for the brain back then. Mm-hmm. And then we said, okay, we can jump in there. And so we were able through DTH and this professor, uh, Janos Verus, to do almost half or more than credits on the master uh, to develop the technology. So we did internship, master thesis on it. um, And then we had data of our own. We had a patent and that was enough to found the company back then. That's like the the perfect way to do it, right? You first have the research part that you can take care of as part of your studies. Then you even get the patent and then you're basically ready to found the company. It was a really... It was a really good way to do it. It's always like uh, during <laughs> when you are doing it, you don't realize that right. it might be smart or right. It's always like afterwards, like, oh, yeah, that made sense. Um, but yeah, it was really great. So I'm very grateful for the ETH uh, that we had the opportunity to combine those things. Yeah. And then, you know, finding co-founders, that's one of the biggest challenges that many mm-hmm. founders or companies face in the early days. What made Simon a good co-founder back then? Um, what still makes him a good founder now, I think, uh, we are, uh, we can be very creative together. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, I always say we, we laugh a lot. We're very good friends. Um, and that's, that's been something really important until today. Um, also very loyal to each other, open. Um, so yeah, I would say like the, for, from the soft skills part, uh, from the hard skill, he's always been like very great at pitching, uh, which I I'm not bad, but I'm, I don't I'm not talented as he is. Um, so it was a really good combination at the beginning, and then I had more of the technical background um, from my interest and love for details, I would say. Um, so it was a, it was a really good uh, co-founder starting. Yeah. Sounds like a great complementary skill set that you brought to the table together. Yeah, we were still, we are quite similar because we did study the same thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say like from, from the interest, like the way we look at science is very different. Nice. Yeah. So now you founded the company in 2017. Mm-hmm. What happened afterwards? What did you focus on then in the early days with the patent and the company founded? Yeah, so in the early days, it was uh focusing on our first financing round, uh, the seed round, uh, with a patent in our hands and also having, so back then we were developing the sensor as a component for other companies in any kind of business. So they, we had companies doing smart shirts, we had company doing um, muscle monitoring uh, with wristbands or we had companies doing EEG uh, with headbands. So it was all about electrical signals integrated mm-hmm. in different devices and we would provide the missing piece, which would be just a sensor. Um, and that was like at the beginning, the, the, the focus. And we also heard or read about the story that involves Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> including your pitch deck. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about the vision that you draw there together with Scarlett on the pitch deck? <laughs> yes, for sure. So um, so when we decided to integrate the technology in uh, headphones, we were heavily inspired by the movie Her. Um, and inspired in the sense that just imagine if there is this technology that really understands you, 
that you could ultimately fall in love with it. Um, but um, so just this, uh, this uh, technology that looks out for you and understands you. And uh, that's also why our technology is called the Guardian, uh, because we've, we see it as kind of the guardian angel in the sense that it's here if you want it, it's for your best interest. Uh, if you don't want it, it's just you don't need it. Um, so it's kind of, yeah how we want to feel the technology is. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a shift, right? O mm -hmm. Although it's not a huge shift because you're still in a similar space, but from providing the sensors for T-shirts, etc., to building your own headphones, basically. How did you make that decision? Because that's quite a change on how you operate and how you pivot to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, so the decision didn't came, like every decision, it's a process. Um, mm -hmm. And when I will explain it to you, it will make total sense where we did it. <laughs> um, so first of all, being in the component supplier business, um, it's I was also involved in sales. So uh, it's always the bill of material is the margin that you can achieve, the bill of material of your customer. They're going to say, I can't pay more than $1 per sensor. Mm -hmm. And then on our hand, you have to think, OK, how can we upscale the technology that we make a viable margin on it? And we were also right. having this new material, which is new material um, to upscale production is heavily uh, intensive, cost intensive. So the, just like the math was quite hard to justify. And also there was also this part where our customers we had to troubleshoot for them the electronics. We had to troubleshoot for them the signals because they were not exactly the same than with conventional sensor because you had a different electrical um, impedance. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, we don't want to be an electronic or a, a consulting company. Um, we want to become a company like a, just not a consulting company. Um, and there was also this topic of hearable uh, that came always louder, louder, louder. Uh, in conferences, uh, we always saw it. And then the research became a bit louder that you can actually measure EEG from the ears. And we're like, that's the perfect platform. Uh, and we didn't want to stay with the heart because there was so much innovation already. Um, so, and and we also saw like the our customers in the brain area. It's so hard to enter the consumer market because you're gonna see that you're wearing something on your head. I mean, most um, best example is Muse for, for meditation. I mean, it's a very successful way of um, bringing it or dream for sleep mm -hmm. uh, because those are both in areas where you are not in public. Right. Um, you are at home or you are in a meditation room, so nobody's going to see you. So th this part, so how can I bring EEG or brain monitoring um, to everybody? It's not going to be with anything that people, anything new on your head. Mm -hmm. It has to be integrated something that you're already wearing. Same story as the smartwatch. They could have integrated everywhere. They integrated the watch. Um, now they integrate in rings, like you're wearing this one. And why? It just makes sense because it's it's nothing weird. So and then so we said, okay, it just makes sense to then integrate everything in the in the headphones so that all the competences that we had from the electronics, from how to attach sensors to the body to how to provide data would be like integrated in one package. 
Wow, it really does make a lot it of sense does, if you explain right? it that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so also, if you look at the market, it's also a very interesting market. So the neurotechnology market was valued at 9.1 billion US dollars mm-hmm. last year in 2020. And we also just wonder like, what services do you now offer with the headphones that you have as a focus? Yeah. What, what do you exactly offer in terms of what people or companies can buy from you? Yeah, so at the moment we are um, offering this uh, plug and play hardware software stack so that companies, uh, which are mostly also the research or innovation part of the companies, it's not Mm -hmm. yet the business units, um, can validate uh, their use case based on this data that they get from from in-ear brain sensors. Um, Very specifically, because we are also in this space at the moment from financing perspective and commercial perspective where we have to explain the use case to uh, investors and to validate it. We are focusing internally on generating our own data for our own use case that we think mm-hmm. are the most promising ones or at the moment the most promising ones. And what, what are those? I think yeah. that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. The, so we have two. So it's one is in the sleep health and one is in the hearing health. Um, So the Sleep House, we have um, one project with a pharma company which develops a drug for narcolepsy. So when people are um, randomly falling asleep during the day and they don't realize it, and they uh, want to have a device that can track those falling asleep uh, patterns, which you can actually only do with brain uh, sensing. So that's why they they are very interested uh, in this technology because you could wear it during the day. It would track, okay, you've fallen asleep like five times. We might need to redose. Um, so that's kind of wow. the, the companion for, for, the, for the therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have different projects going on also on how music influences your, your brain um, either for falling asleep or either for keeping you into deep sleep. And if it's based on the actual brain signal, then you can be much more personalized. Um, so this is like the sleep area, which is a really interesting one. So we're mm-hmm. building up the use, use cases on top of those markers. And the hearing part um, is also quite intuitive because the brain is um, like the hearing apparatus of the brain is just behind the ears. Uh, very smart so uh, it's it's a good place to pick up uh, hearing uh, impairments or signals and we are working with a company uh, which does like a fitness app for your tr- for your hearing I call it uh, so it's based that it gives different frequencies into your ears that you train to hear those frequencies again that you might have forgotten to hear because we are always standing in a well, quiet environment. You don't hear birds that much anymore. Um, So they train you uh, on your hearing uh, deficits so that you can understand them better. And we are picking up how the frequencies influences your brain response and ultimately would be just to personalize as well this training. Wow, I, I'm blown away. That's super interesting it's use very, cases that you're working on here. Super interesting, yeah. Yeah, I love what what our customers are doing. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And now you describe those two use cases that are your current focus. Mm-hmm. Is it sometimes difficult to differentiate which one you should focus more on? Or yes. do you want to really say, hey, we want to go down with both and see which will work out, which one will work out in, in the future eventually? Or do you have to make a decision one day where you say, no, that's going to be our core focus? Um, so what we want to build actually is um, is a platform where our 
customers can mm -hmm. grab, I would say, the the classifiers. For example, let's say um, I've heard this tone or I haven't heard this tone for the hearing training. Yep. And they could grab this and then develop their own um, application based on that without us having to be involved in it. Um, nice. So that's kind of the goal also like the sleep onset that they would be able to say, okay, uh, one zero, one zero, uh, they have a vector and then they can measure the sleep onset and then they can um, build an application on that. So our ultimate goal is to build a platform where customers can build applications on top of it. But at the moment, because the technology is so early mm -hmm. um, we have to educate also our customer and say that's what you can do with it so that's right. where we are so i would say uh, two use cases is a lot and we are not going to do more on our own but uh, ultimately it would be like just great if customers would develop their own application based on own markers and then have just a platform which goes in very different di direction and they can be creative. We don't have to be creative for them. So nice. that would be like the ultimate goal, if I think of it. A great vision to chase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in that regard, you, you mentioned that you still have to educate the market to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. What does that mean on the competitive landscape? Do you have a lot of competitors or do you actually also enjoy sort of a first or early mover advantage? We have more and more, which is great uh, for, for the... Um, for the whole landscape, because it really means that technology is, is not just a dream. We're not the only ones thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, we are not the first movers. The first movers uh, would be uh, Emotive in uh, the United States. So they came out with an in-ear EG device um, two years ago, I think, two and a half, uh, something like this. So yeah. they are they are the, I would say, the pioneer. Um, but we are near to them. and. Like this year, I think five or six companies arises just last week from Google, Moonshot, X Factory, one of the founder, I think, or certainly someone quite big there uh, just came out of stealth mode with an in-ear EG device. So it's, it becomes louder and louder. And while that's good for the market, what does that mean or for do us? to you on the company or personal level? Aren't you stressed out? No, I, uh, I'm not stressed out at all. I think it's really great um, because it, yeah, as I mentioned, it, it just uh, really shows the validity of the technology. Um, so I, I'm not stressed out. Uh, I think it's very good for us. Um, and also it's just like for investors, for bigger companies to say, oh, wow, okay, something is coming. We really need to work with Edun, otherwise we're going to lose. Yeah. So I think it's really good. It does a lot of pressure on the market. Um, and what we have, which differentiates us from others, is that because we come from sensors mm -hmm. development and material development, we have really good sensors and we have really good signals. Um, so that gives us the possibility to become or to get faster um, to the algorithm part because we can actually have good data. Uh, because at the moment you can't buy any data sets for in EG from anywhere um, other differently than from the full scalp right. EG where you can buy data sets from research groups. So uh, it gives us just like the maybe the first hundred meters we are. Yeah, those are it's your unfair advantage. It's so to our speak. unfair advantage, yeah. And talking about challenges, you know, educating the market that can be also very time-consuming and intense. 
So it's good that you have more and more companies that help mm. you do that, that help you educate the market. Yes. But I imagine for you to close a deal with another company in the B2B sector, that can be quite challenging because you mentioned before, you're not talking to the business units, you're talking to the innovation units yes. most often. Yeah. So how difficult is that? How big of a challenge was that so far for you to convince them to say, this is the future, you should invest now, but you still have to educate them a lot because you're probably not solving a real pain problem for them right now. Yeah, so I think it's difficult, but I have to say also, I don't know really anything else because it's the first time I founded a company. So I sure. don't really have reference points to say uh, it's much easier to sell this. Um, Maybe that's actually good. Yeah, so you don't probably. know that it might yeah, be easier somewhere else. I don't feel like oh, it's not working <laughs> out. I'm like, oh, we're making progress. <laughs> um, but um, so I would say um, the 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 biggest metric that we have or the most valuable metric that we have in sales call is data, our own data at the moment. So it's, I mean, talking about dreams and blah, 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 that's uh, that's fine. Um, and, but those are all researchers. So they're like, yeah, can you give me facts? So, the, so we are working a lot on generating our own data and validating it to say it works. And then usually they always ask us, yeah, what's the use case that you could work on and mm -hmm. then we have to have an answer and now we have one it's like sleep and it's hearing if you want it jump on if you don't want it we want something else we can talk but then you will need to pay quite a lot of money because it's going to be exploratory on our part nice yeah and that pivot that you did there you know from being a hardcore hardware company to now a hardened software combination how did you also manage that whole transition with your company? Because I can imagine that if you have a team working on something, they, they have the specific skill set in, in that area. Um, how do you then train them or take them on the journey to do the harder and softer combination as you do it right now? Um, <laughs> so we underestimated the complexity of it. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but... I think everybody in the company was quite, they, they all, I mean, you also said that it makes total sense. So it made for all of them, it made sense that we were expanding on, on the data side. Um, and we were already working on data, but like a very small scale to just validate our sensor. So it was not completely, oh, we never touched data. Uh, but uh, so now we have a lot of different competences that had to come uh, into the company. It's um, it's just more complex and it's much harder now to pinpoint which part of the product has a defect. Um, and that's harder. So before yeah. we knew, okay, we need to test uh, the material and, and then, and now you're like, okay, it can be the material, but it can be, I don't know, some AWS, whatever right. that just doesn't work. And, and this is, makes it quite hard um, to progress systematically. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, the saying, do either hardware or software, but never combine the two <laughs> of them, yeah. actually has some valid reasons. Yes, I, I guess, I guess. But we didn't have kind of a, I mean, we didn't have a choice because there is no hardware for this particular metric, really. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's it's very hard, but it's a very a, a big advantage that we understand if you change something in the material, what is it going to change in the signal? And I think this know-how is very, very valuable. Yeah, again, yeah. your unfair advantage, Yeah, really. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, also the big companies, the big successes, they usually were all built around a very hard and difficult problem to solve. So 
that's true. <laughs> I think that's also a good motivator. Yeah. Then along that way, you also actually sort of implemented a partnership and then also an investment with Sony. Can you talk a bit more about that? Because that generated a lot of PR for mm -hmm. you and your company. That was a massive step to take. We were in contact um, with someone, someone working at Sony. And at some point he said, hey, Severin, there is this uh, accelerator uh, from Sony Europe. They are starting to do uh, to bring in external companies to do an accelerator. I think that would be great for you. Uh, and then we enrolled uh, for this accelerator uh, program in Sweden. Uh, my co-founder Simon was mostly there. And that's how the collaboration started. And then out of, um, I, I don't remember exactly how many, but I think out of the 10 startups, they invested in three or four. We were one of them. And that's how uh, the, it started. And it was a really good signal externally uh, that, hey, consumer electronics, are investing in this because that's okay that's a sign okay there is something here so that mm -hmm. was a very important um i would say strategical um, partnership what what did that change for you of course there was the validation that you just mentioned but did you also get any inbound leads that reached out to you and said hey we're yeah. interested in that or was it easier for you to raise funds from traditional investors what impact yeah. did that have beyond? I would say I would say both of the above okay. so uh, for investor it's always like a validation a commercial validation that's that's the best kind of uh, validation that you can get as an investor so that was a really a good sign um, there was also from Sony internally uh, we had a lot of uh, uh, access, I would say, to, to, to know-how in the consumer electronic space uh, for the in the headphone space. So we nice. can understand, okay, what are the requirements for on our side that at some point we can integrate in, in their environment. So that was really good. And uh, from, uh, from a customer side, I mean, yeah, it, it works like this. Like if, uh, if, I don't know, Samsung says, hey, Sony is investing in there, they're like, Okay, we need to we need to watch it, and so yeah, it generated some inbound leads. Yeah. And how do you collaborate with Sony now these days? Beyond the the access to the know how, is there anything else that that they help you with, or where they are a good sparring partner for you? Yeah, so they have. Um, so we are collaborating still with the the startup unit uh, mainly uh, of uh, of uh, of Sony in Sweden, and they have a very good network for the startup of. Um, uh, experts in different topics, so designers. So, so we have access to quite a lot of know-how. Um, on the commercial part, um, we are still looking at how to to collaborate with them. Um, so it's an ongoing discussion. And now that we have the use case a bit more defined, they say, okay, this might be interesting to PlayStation or this might be interesting to yeah. uh, the audio part. So now it starts to crystallize a bit more because we also have better, I would say, like, clearer use cases. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, we also heard in the beginning, you mentioned that you filed your first patent when you actually founded the company. Mm -hmm. You filed two more along the journey. And filing a patent, while this gives you really the the USP, the unfair advantage to a certain degree, because it's your technology that is protected there, that can also be quite a challenging process. Uh, so how yeah. did you experience that? Filing a patent, is that a walk in the park or is it really more like, whoa, that's tough stuff to, to crack? Um, I would say the first time it's it's hard <laughs> afterwards it's not the process is not really hard it's just a bit depressing because almost everything is somehow 
published or patented that you can think of. So that's a bit like the hard part of patenting. It's like, oh, you have a new idea, you're working on something, and then you look in literature, and there are like, or in patent, um, uh, in, in the patent landscape, and there's so many things that are out there already. Yeah. So it's then really, okay, how can we find, which details can we find that is still not patented, which is very relevant. Um, so this part is challenging. I think it's, it's every time it's discouraging because we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but then the process of doing it is actually not too hard. And you always work with patent lawyers. So right. it's, yeah, I would say it's more like, this emotional process it's not that easy and i guess that's also something that you highly recommend to get that external help from the lawyers yeah, to you actually need to. yeah you need done. to uh it, it's not i mean it's it's a different language it's yeah. you can't do it on your own there's no way or it's, it doesn't make any sense and there is also um the institute for geistiges eigentum in bern right. which is also very helpful to screen the patent literature with you so those are like two tools that you need to do yeah if you're going into patents great and the last challenge i want to talk about is basically also the duration that it can take with all the pivots that are part of every entrepreneur's journey, I, I would say, but also then building your own hardware and now even hardware and software product. So that takes time, obviously. How do you keep your investors happy that they don't say, hey, this is taking too long, um, we're not going to go fast enough or anything? Was that ever a challenge to keep them happy while still staying focused on your product and software development and delivering good quality there? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um I think we also don't have any investor which is a purely software investor uh, because they would get bored like because yeah. it's it's really not as fast as software. So we don't have this kind of investor. Um, I would say keeping them happy in the sense that we also communicate with them every commercial traction that we have, um, any data that we have. So it's... I mean, like for everything else, it's communication. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel also it's on how you present your numbers um, a lot of time because I, I might not be really good at making it better than it is. Or um, so usually I have to prepare it quite a lot. We made progress. But you have to be prepared because, for for example, for me, I'm, I'm not, I'm just like saying the things how they are. And sometimes I say, yeah, but that's not enough. And I'm like, and then other people in the company say, yeah, but there was this and this and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, true. And so I have to prepare a bit better. Um, but yeah, and, and also, I mean, it's you have to tell them when it's not working. Uh, they have to be sure. able to hear it. And we have quite a lot of uh, entrepreneur in our investment part. So they're, they understand the journey. So that's very valuable, yeah. Hey everyone, Nespresso is pleased to launch, in partnership with B-Lab Switzerland, the Swiss Start Cup Challenge. Aimed at startups, SMEs and students, this challenge will highlight and reward the best circular ideas in Switzerland. Do your services and products contribute to the circular economy? Let your circular ideas shine by joining the Swiss Start Cup Challenge at nespresso.com forward slash start cup. The winner of each category will receive 20,000 Swiss francs to finance the development of their project. Plus, a B-Lab Switzerland mentoring program will be offered to the winners of the startup and SME categories. 
then there's the jury's favorite, who'll be the star of their own video feature. And last but not least, the first 100 participants will receive an espresso machine and a year's worth of coffee. Don't drink it all at once. To participate, fill out a simple eligibility form and send us a video pitch presenting your project before July 7th. Learn more at Nespresso.com forward slash start cup. Good luck. You mentioned before that you don't have any pure software investors because they would probably get bored or become mm-hmm. very impatient. Yeah. Did you make that choice of the investors very, you know, consciously where you said, we do our own due diligence, we want to see people who invest in hardware before just to have the expectations right? Or how did you choose your investors? It's not just the choosing, right? It's uh, sometimes it's just like you're happy to get the money. Um, sure. So we are not really or we've not really been in the situation where like, oh, no, we don't take you because we have enough other investors. But no, we never really targeted uh, purely software investors because we're like, it's it's so different metrics. Um, it, it's not going to work out. They're, we are not going to be in their sweet spot, never, because we don't have the, the, the right metrics for them. So it's just like more we didn't even really talk to them because it doesn't make sense. It was not really choosing that, no, we don't want you to invest, but more like, let's not spend happen. time yeah, yeah, on this exactly. because probably it's not, it's not going to work out. Yeah. And on, on that level, you know, when things take time to develop, mm-hmm. um, you also have the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial life. How do you as a person, as a founder, stay motivated? Did you ever have tough moments where you said, why am I doing this? I, I just want to get a normal job and leave all of that. Uh, <laughs> I never think I want to have a normal job. <laughs> um, that's not what I would leave it for. Um, it's a good question. People ask me always this um, and I, I think there are a few things that keep me going. Um, one is that I really find it fascinating what our customers are doing. So, for, And I'm customer facing, so for me, it's really yeah. interesting. And also every time that we get our own data and it's good data, I'm like, it's, it's really great. So I'm very happy about it. So I, I see the potential of it. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't, this, this part, I'm not losing focus on it. But there are times where like, nothing is working and we're like, oh, that's, uh, again, it's not working again. We don't get the data. And so that's, that's a bit of a pain, but I kind of know in my heart, I would say that it's a transient part. And this is, for me, technical problems are always solvable. Um, so that's I'm not getting nervous about it. Um, I would say human problems is harder uh, in the company mm-hmm. because it's it's you you don't it's not the same as a technical problem is this defined problem and it's just this a problem. The human problems you right. have like two parts that come together. So I think that's harder. Um, so yeah, technical problems not a problem. <laughs> but I, I could imagine that people from with another background, another technical background, yeah. could also argue, well, all the human problems, they are also solvable. Uh, yeah, potentially. Uh, if you can objectivize everything, um, yeah, uh, I would say so. Uh, I mean, it's a bit, then we go a bit of philosophical question sure. if you have a, a f- own will or not, but probably there is a lot of things. If you can measure it, you could um, make it objective. And this is always like, the problem with the psyche, I would say, if you can make it objective, then you really understand, okay, that's not you or it's, yeah, it's your pattern. Um, So that could definitely help in human problems. Yeah. 
when you are in a, in a tough moment, whether it's a, a people problem or a technical problem, what helps you to then get out of that situation to also, you know, get positive again, like stay up, like get up in the morning again, refreshed and uh, really motivated to work and solve that that problem? Do you have any you know, rituals or anything that helps you to navigate through more challenging times? I need to, usually I need to take um, distance uh, from, from it. So um, I try if I can to take like two days off uh, on top of the weekend yeah. and just do something else and be um, just to be a bit more creative again um, and not stuck in this, uh, nothing is working. So for me, it's a lot about having distance, um, but also like personally, then I don't really want to talk too much with my co-founder. I really need the distance then. So that helps me a lot. Um, I don't, yeah, otherwise it's just, yeah, I don't know. So v being together and also <laughs> just being together and all together saying, wow, that's, that's just fucked up now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard and so that you just don't feel alone. Uh, so it's a bit contradictory. So I need to be alone, but I also need to, to feel that we are all in, in it. Sure, probably different phases, right? Yeah, probably first probably acknowledge that with the team that you yeah. feel, oh, we're, we're going to be fine, but mm. then you need the distance yep. to re let the problem rest to find yeah, the solution. Exactly. Yeah. What do you do when you get the more to, to a bit more distance? Yeah. What do you do to not think about the problem or to not work to, to then help you come back stronger? Um, I actually don't have that much of a problem to not think about it. Uh, okay. So... I, I don't know where that comes from. It's I'm very grateful for it. Absolutely. That's yeah. a great talent to have. Yeah, it's a really good talent to have. So, um, I mean, I spend time with my family or with my husband. We go in, in the mountains, skiing. Uh, yeah. I just like to be then out uh, if I can. Um, I do sports. Uh, just, like, yeah, small things. Nothing like yeah. like too, too exotic. There's no magic bullet. No, there is not. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's really being normal. <laughs> but I think it gives people a good perspective that distance can actually be a very good thing yeah. when you face those challenges mm. and then you come back strong, you get a new perspective and then suddenly you find a solution that's yeah, working. Exactly. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So if we look at your numbers, you have six customers that you acquired so far, 18 employees with 85% in engineering. I think that's a very strong mm -hmm. focus there. And you also just raised your post-seed round with 2 million uh, Swiss francs. And now, of course, you all want to wonder what's next? What do you have planned for the future? So um, it's quite um, quite planned. So uh, we are going to raise a Series A mid of next year. And we have at the moment to like the biggest goal is commercial validation. So validating the use case I've talked to you about uh, with customers which are paying for it and to show then, okay, if the technology works together, what's the plan after it and how this is able to scale. So a lot of focus on the customer side and on the technical side, it's just a focusing on making all the pieces work reliably together so yeah those are like the, the three big goals for the next six months yeah, you certainly won't get bored i can tell you that no 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 <laughs> we won't get bored and hiring is it's always um yeah it's always important um getting also a bit more experience now so it's also getting the funding to pay those experienced people uh, but like experience is going to be important 
and uh, bringing our people out also up on the leadership so they're going to have interns and all the things that, but it's going to be mostly still on a technical field that we're going to hire and on the non-technical field we are hiring now someone for hr um which is going to be because yeah that's the thing that nobody is really doing it at the moment in the company and that's yeah that's the bottleneck when you need people yeah, fully understand that mm-hmm. that's actually a, a good follow-up question maybe here now, when it comes to the validation, that is one important part for your business, right? Like, do, do can we find customers? Have we validated the need and our solution is a good fit to that need versus the hiring part? Usually you want to do the hiring after you validated that, right? Mm-hmm. Ideally, but that's not, not always possible. So how do you go about hiring without the full validation being already done? Um, yeah, we go about it, but not very successfully at the moment, have to be honest on this. Um, it's like for me personally, I always like, there are some people that I always, I'm a bit in touch because I know this person, I would think that this would be a great fit for us, Mm -hmm. but those are usually people that have their job. They're not looking for jobs. So it's more of Hey, uh, can you come with it? So it's being in touch and when you have the money, and uh, yeah, it's always a bit of a gamble because you usually start hiring before you have the financing round. Um, so it's, yeah. Yeah, because it's, you want them to be ready when yeah, you have the financing. you want the them financing. to be ready. You don't want to wait for three more months when right. they're, they're, when you've raised the money. So it's always a bit of a gamble, but it came out fine until now. So I think that's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Um, but yeah. It's being in touch and, and now I'm happy that we have someone that is a bit more dedicated because at the moment we have a big bottleneck in hiring for interns, which shouldn't be a problem uh, right. because our people, we kind of distributed the HR task of hiring to everybody mm-hmm. and not everybody likes to do it. They like to work on their problem, technical problems. So now it's just like, okay, it's not working. <laughs> we need to re-centralize it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that's also, you know, testing, learning, mm-hmm. and then adapting again. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. <laughs> I'm, I'm really admired by your positive spirit where you think, hey, it's going to be fine. No matter, it's going to be fine. Whatever problem the world will throw at us, it's going to be fine. Yeah, but I mean, you know, just imagine what's the worst case. What is it? It's, yeah. uh, okay, the company, uh, we have to close down our doors. Um, and and then what? I mean, nobody has died. <laughs> sure. Um, like we are in Switzerland, we have such a good social system. I know as a founder that they're gonna get their salary for two years, eighty uh, percent. So it's like okay, they're they're not on the streets. So I don't, you know, like the the government gives me this peace of mind. So the it's just like okay, what's the worst case? That's that's not gonna kill you. I think you're fully right. And then I also always ask myself, why are not more people starting their own company here in Switzerland? Because I see it exactly as you do it. Like, why don't you take that risk? Because you basically cannot really lose. Yeah, you can't lose too much. But um, I feel, I don't know, how old were you when you started your first company? Um, 23. And so I was also 23 uh, when we kind of started. And I think like, you know, there is no golden and kefik there is you you haven't 
you are not losing anything. You have absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. You don't have responsibility for family, or I guess, um, yeah, sure. you don't, you don't, you don't have a job which was super well paid that you have to leave. You usually don't have an apartment that costs I don't know how much that you have to say, okay, if I want to stay here, I need to earn that much. So you are very, uh, you're very free to do it like the first time, and that's what I always say. If you have the choice or if you are considering to build a company, do it as soon as possible, because the first time is going to be the hardest one. And then, I mean, you know it. If you do it then the second time or third time, you don't think that much, uh, oh, should I do it? Should I not do it? Is it going to work out? It's just like, oh, there's a potential that it's going to work out and you can make money out of it. Exactly. So let's do it. Um, but I think the first time is the critical part and we don't yet have this. I mean, it's changing, like also like the innovation part of Switzerland is putting a lot of effort yep. to make uh, children and uh, young people aware that you can actually build a company instead of going to an exchange or learn English, for example. Um, so I think that's really, I think that's great. But then comes also the question, do everybody needs to ha have a company? Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. So not everybody's born for that or yeah. wants that. And that's yeah, totally fine. Exactly. But I feel like there's still so much unused potential, untapped potential yeah. people being caught up in their jobs that sort of pay a good salary, but that they are not happy about. Yeah. And they would be so much more passionate about a certain problem, a certain topic yeah. that is close to their heart. And I would love to see those people starting a company mm. because not only would they be so much happier in their life, but also having so much more impact, positive impact on the world. That's true. That's very true. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. get it why not more people do it. You have everything you need. Yeah, in Switzerland, in Switzerland you really have everything. Um, Maybe yes. too much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, I always say also, like, in other countries, being an entrepreneur is, is just the only way. Exactly. Um, and it's just wanting to survive. And, like, in Switzerland, being an entrepreneur is just, like, it's 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 a privilege. It's because you have energy to do something. It's because you have a good idea. And in other countries, it's you have to survive. You have to, to make your own money in any way. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. Maybe in other countries, more people would do it because they're, yeah, because it's the survival instinct kicking in. But yeah, right. we are, I mean, Switzerland is a very nice place to be, but you can be a very long time in a comfort zone. Yeah. I think that's a good food for thought that mm -hmm. we also end this conversation with. We have two last parts for you. Yeah. The first one is about personal gadgets and resources. Do you have any books or other resources that you can recommend to our listeners? <laughs> yeah, so I had to think about it when you asked me yesterday about it. So we talked about this one book. It's only the one I read. It's the hard thing about hard things. And I think it's, uh, it's really, really good. It's, uh, it's very raw. Um, and it's just oh. not sugarcoating anything. And I think it's really, I, I really love that book. Um, otherwise, um, I thought about it and actually for all the females out there, I am actually tracking my cycle every night and it really helps me put my behavior in perspective. And I know, okay, so this time in the months there, there is a reason for my emotion. Or, and so, and for me, that really, really helped a lot in different situations to know, okay, where am I with the hormonal part? So um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a really good tool. And I, if I could have done it earlier, I would have uh, to, to put it into perspective. And otherwise, I mean, 
uh, yeah, nothing too much. Um, stay out of your phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> That's read easier more. Said than done. Yeah, it's very much easier said than done. But read more. Um, get. I mean, I don't know. Like try being out of your phone for three days. It's just, and then it's it's okay. Like oh. the first three days are hard, oh, and I then it's imagine. like freedom. Mm-hmm. Nice. So the very last part we have for you are some rapid fire questions. So I either give you a selection where you have to make a choice or a quick question and you have to answer in one sentence. Yeah. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. What was your summer job as a teenager? I was always helping my grandmother in the garden. She didn't pay me for it. I mean, in the <laughs> sense that she paid me with a, with a lot of love and food. But uh, that's what I usually did in the summer. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a cool summer job. Yeah, it's, it was the best. Probably even more rewarding than uh, earning a few extra bucks. That was that was like best memories. Those are really good memories. Yeah. Do you meditate yourself? Uh, at the moment, not. I have some phase where I do, but not at the moment. But I do yoga, so it's kind of different. Nice. And someone told me you can meditate in different ways. So if you read a book, it's also meditation. Exactly. Yeah. How many How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Uh, eight. Good. How does your Edun device help you in your day-to-day -day if you're using it yourself? Um, not using it yet. Um, it just helps me being inspired <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> by yeah. the potential of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one for you today, if you were not an entrepreneur, what would you be? I would be somewhere where I have an impact. Yeah, what it be, is, yeah. I don't know. That could be anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Severin, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a lot of fun talking to you and talking about the impressive story. And we wish you all the best and lots of success with whatever you're tackling in the future. Thank you very much, Silvan. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.